0: This is episode number 23, be the person you needed most when you were younger with April Dinwoody. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohi, and this is the Overcoming Ads Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of adoptees and foster youth who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming seminar on June 23rd in Austin, Texas. A seminar where you'll have a chance to connect with hundreds of people who are going through a similar transformation that you are. A seminar where you will hear from speakers from all over the country, including Jen Bricker, Anne Heffrin, Leslie Johnson, Adele Harris, Joshua Banks, Peter Stroppel, and myself included. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash hear me now. Now let's get back to our guests. Unknown a word that can be used to describe much of her early beginnings, especially her experience related to adoption. She said, There's so much that's lost because my birth mother is no longer on the planet. A person with whom April Dinwiddie wishes she had developed a stronger connection with. Without further ado, please welcome April Dinwiddie. April, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experience with us and your story. And what I would like you to do is tell our audience a little bit about your past um, reasons why you got adopted and briefly connection to your current work if mm-hmm. it relates based off of your experience.
1: Sure, happy to be here. Thank you for making the space. This overcoming odds is 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 poignant and um recognizing that we all have odds to overcome on some level. And those of us who have them that are more on some level, um, sometimes more obvious, I think, um, mm-hmm. it, 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 makes a lot of sense. I think today in this day and age to create openings for that, um, sharing and healing and, and, um, validation and connection. So I appreciate that. And, you know, early, early, early life I, I often think about um, what I don't know about my experience related to adoption because there's so much of it that really is a kind of um, lost so to speak because my birth mother is no longer on the planet and I didn't really have a chance to have a have a real deep connection with her we shared a couple of letters and I think we had uh, we, I know we had two two phone calls and but I never met her and I don't know really anything about my, my birth father. So, you know, when I think about, especially coming off of um, a couple of things, um, February just passed us by Valentine's day. When I think about love, I've written a lot about love and adoption and, and also this idea of, um, me too. And some of the, uh, the conversations we're having around, um, sexual violence and, uh, Relationship to modern love and sex, and actually so just wrote mm-hmm. about this and talked about this in my last podcast. So, you know, when I think when I think deeply about the bigger picture, you know, were these two people in love? Were they um, were they connected in some way? Was uh, was there uh, a forced sexual experience um, in a rape, which is what my birth mother did share with me? What does that mean for me? All of these things I found out as a grown up. Uh, so, all that to say that my beginnings were. Uh, what I know about my beginnings were really based off of hospital records that I probably shouldn't have gotten that I just by, by, by probably someone's not really looking deeply at a situation in a records department, just, just processed for me. And I got my whole file from the time my birth mother entered the hospital until the time that I, I, she left and I stayed and went into foster care. So all that backup to say, you know, um, It was a crisis pregnancy. My birth mother showed up at the hospital without really knowing what she was going to do. She was in her ninth month. She had three other kids before that she was raising. She was divorced and had a big family, a big, you know, but four brothers, lots of cousins and and aunts and and uncles and parents. Oh, wow. Uh, But really, you know, obviously kept this all to herself. So I I think a lot about that. And so there I come into the world, um, pretty somewhat uneventful uh, delivery. And then I went right into foster care because this idea was that my birth mother was going to figure out what she was going to do. Um, I don't know if she really intended to ever keep me with her and raise me with her. Other children might have siblings, but it, it didn't It didn't happen that way. There were a couple of visits, she, she kind of disappeared and I went into temporary foster care, which is what happens. Um, and then as time went on, my understanding is that they found a pre-adoptive home to place me in while they tried to figure out. And I think they had to go and try to find my birth mom again so she could relinquish her rights because that, mm-hmm. sort of the timeline was getting to a point where they mm-hmm. really felt like, you know, getting me to a pre-adoptive home and then really working it out with her. Now, how, what those details are, I don't know. But my, my adoptive family basically says my parents, Tom and Sandy, had three children, two boys and a girl. They were um, – wanting to be parents again, uh, extend their family. They, you know, you know I, I do think it was in, in a way about gender selection. They wanted a girl. Uh, they wanted two boys and two girls. They wanted my sister to have a sister. Um, and, and didn't really think about a difference of race. Like, uh, the, the agency was like, Oh, Hey, we have a girl. She may be adopt. Uh, she may be biracial. Um, and they were like, oh, okay. And so the, even in the paperwork from the agency, it doesn't really speak. It says, um, uh, there is a there. Is, this child was seen by a geneticist and they gave the opinion that she may be of mixed race now i was definitely a mixed race baby and i'm definitely a mixed race adult there's no <laughs> questioning that so you know from the get it was a really a beautifully intended really perfectly fine idea to want another kid to adopt and to adopt you know a biracial kid. When you're white, you don't believe that there's anything wrong with that. There's, there's, you know, you don't see. You know, my dad loves to say, "I don't see color. Um, we don't see color." And, and I challenge him on that, and I, I challenge that idea um, as a grown-up. But you know, I come, I come, I came into the family. They really didn't really think too much about it until a relative would say something, or you know, things would present themselves, and then I think it kind of dawned on them, like, "Wow, we we really." We really didn't really think about this. So I spent the better part of my life kind of navigating this real search for identity, being mm-hmm. very um, different from a lot of people that are around me, especially my my, my family, but also my, my community, my school. There weren't that many black and brown people around. Um, I was a bit of a novelty. You know, it was kind of like, you know, I always say had I been a dark-skinned black boy, I would have had a much harder time in my growing up years. I was a light-skinned, Girl. Uh and and that and that I didn't realize a lot of that until my early adulthood when I started to really think about where I wanted to be placed, not where the universe placed me, but where did I want to be? Um, so you know, wonderful relationships with my 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 siblings, my family. Um challenging, right? I'm in reunion with some of my biological uh family members on my mother's side, which is really interesting. Um, she did not want to meet me. Would not really uh, communicate with me. It was really sort of dramatic. She wrote to me that she had been raped, and that's how I was conceived. So there were a lot of sort of really challenging emotional layers to all of this, which have been, you know, part of my journey, part of my experience that I've worked Identity. through in yeah. all different kinds of race. Yeah, 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 all of it. Um, so I mean, it, it it it's all in a in a short form right then, not that short, but really kind of com- com- compacted, you know, the idea of uh, kind of claiming my identity is still happening, but it's also um, been helped by taking bold steps forward to do things that I thought would ultimately help others, but actually wound up helping me more than I could have ever imagined.
0: Mm. Do you have any advice for people who are either adopting or living in a household that are of different race because one of the things I've noticed throughout these interviews is that um, some of the people that we've interviewed, let's say from India or South Korea, they said that you know things like stereotypes or racism were so prevalent. But it, it's a lot. It it's difficult for others to understand who haven't lived through that experience. So what I'm curious to know is that for those that may not be familiar with. What it actually is like to live in that household. And I know that you blog on this topic quite a bit throughout your work. What advice would you have for people that are within it?
1: The, the people who are adopting? Correct. Mm. Oh, there's a lot of it. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, and there's like the layer of take out race for a second, but, you know, becoming a parent is probably one of the biggest decisions you'll ever make in life. and 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 I hope you know I always hope that this is a proactive, well thought out decision. I mean, I think that whether you're partnered with someone or you're a single person, it's like just just making sure that you are you're well prepared. I mean, Mm -hmm. and 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 no one's ever going to be super fit, but think about like how are we going to what's what's my discipline style? I mean, I think you really have to get really deep on um, what how how are we going to carry out. tradition and holiday. I mean, you really do have to think about all of these things, I think. Um, that's, that's the beginning step. And, and really, the, some, some of the more rigorous adoption processes around foster care and some private adoption do sort of take you down through some of these you know it's not just a transactional home study you really do have these discussions right um, but but a lot of times it is a transaction and then you don't get that deep with this because you don't have to do that when you're having a biological kid so why do you have to be forcing <laughs> it on adoption well i have my own thoughts on that i think everybody should be doing this <laughs> having uh-huh. a home study whether they're doing by bi- you know bio having a biological kid or adopting or what have you i think everybody should be, be kind of doing that methodical thoughtful process but when you add race to it it's like even more so that you, you 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 must think about the conditions in which people of color are forced to be involved with the world you, you know you have to be thinking about these things at a more evolved level and you'll never be a person of color if you're not right if uh-huh. you're white you're white period right but you can and should be putting yourself in situations where you are a minority. You should be on the regular. You shouldn't be um, just kind of transactionally saying, oh, yeah, we're going to go to this parade or that parade. We're going to go to Chinatown once a month or what have you. No, you've become a multiracial family, and that means standing up for injustices. That means, yeah, you kind of do have to become somewhat of an advocate or an activist for people of color if you have a kid of color in your family. I, I think that's true if you're a white person who's been involved with a person of color and you have a baby and you end up raising that child Mom or a dad or what have you, and you're a different race than you could. I, I think that's true regardless of the circumstances. Um, so I, I think the advice is look like, don't take this lightly. Like don't mm-hmm. take this idea of di- the differences of race as as anything that's uh, a, a, a light like light fair a light topic. And I've heard so much. Um, I'm just reading Trevor Noah's book, uh, Born a Crime, and it's so fascinating to hear how his his mother this this woman of color in South Africa, just purposefully has a baby with a white person um, to kind of, you, you know, I don't know, to just to, 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 to totally just push back on this whole system of racial injustice. But it, it put it on the shoulders of her kid. So when I think about adoptions, you, your kid, when you adopt a kid of color, that kid does not become. The the unifier and the, the uh-huh. sort of the, the 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 sort of the centerpiece of racial equality and justice. Um, it doesn't go on their shoulders. It goes on your shoulders. Like you become that, not your kid, right? Mm-hmm. So there's it's deep. And and I think there's a lot more I could say and will say and have said. But you know, at the end of the day, it's just don't take it lightly. Um, and and be fierce about protecting your kid physically and emotionally. Um because there's danger there's danger physical and emotional danger for kids of color and grown-ups of color today that we cannot ignore and parents who think they can just sort of kind of float on through and think it's cute um they're 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 100 percent wrong
0: mm. you bring up a good point regarding becoming an advocate because i think that's well clearly that's both of us have become an advocate for um a group, and in this case, a group that we share, and that is, you know, adoptees. Mm-hmm. Um, when did it make sense in your mind to become an advocate for the things that you're doing in your life? Was there a pivotal point that you can take us through that it kind of just said, okay, these are the experiences that I've had. This is the world we live in. This is my role to play within this space? Mm.
1: Well, you know, it was, it was, it was there's a duality to it, right? Because I was in the midst of a search. I was in the midst of being in, in, in the process of the search being harshly rejected by my birth mother. And I was in deep, deep pain. Uh, I had never imagined given everything that the setup was the whole, my whole life, your, your birth mother loved you so much. This is why she made this plan for you. Mm-hmm. You were chosen, you know, you're loved. And I felt all those things I, and I believed all those things, right? Why would I not? Um, I believe my family. I was I was well well cared for, well loved. Um, uh, it, this started to be a crack in the system when I, you know, when this in this idea the crack the crack it came when you know there was a real challenge to get my information. I was like, well, if if this is all so good, then why people why won't people tell me the truth of yeah. like, you know where is this person? Why? Why so I was like, wait it? a second, <laughs> yeah, like why like why is this so Difficult to get this information. This person is such a good person, and um, so upon being rejected by my birth mother and being cradled, quite frankly, by my family. I mean, I, I, some 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 of my close family members didn't quite get it, but my certainly my mom, my sister, um, other members of my of my family just you know just really held me when I needed that and 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 knew that I was in pain, but 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 yet they still didn't quite get it right? And that's Mm -hmm. no indictment on them. That's just the truth, right? It doesn't mean they didn't do everything that they could to comfort me through it. And they provided a great, I wouldn't have made it through without them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was this, like, I I understood that they really didn't understand, right? So as part of that, I also simultaneously was doing a mentoring program at Kenneth Cole, which is where I was director of marketing. And he's connected to, um, uh, the, the former First Lady Matilda Cuomo through his wife Maria Cuomo, long story, but there's a big mentoring um, umbrella that um, the former First Lady Matilda Cuomo started, and I became part of that because we were doing a mentoring program at at Kenneth Cole, and I was the mentoring sort of champion, and I started to recognize that the young people in this program were all, many were black and brown. These were the, you know, sort of quote-unquote at-risk youth, and what I began to to understand is that many of them also had some sort of dual engagement, right? They were uh-huh. um, involved in some kind of programming around their being at risk. Whether they had some some uh, some kind of interaction with the criminal justice system, none of them had been arrested, but there was some kind of an interaction um, with criminal justice. Or the beginnings of, and then there was also very much a large population of young people who had some kind of a fracture in their family. Not all were involved in the child welfare system, but many came from single parent households and/or had some being being raised by a by an elder, by a, a grandparent, or a, someone in uh, as kin. Uh, so I, I began to notice this like this this pattern and. At the same time, I was in, uh, very briefly, a support group for those uh, adopted people and other members of the community, uh, birth parents and adoptive parents, who were, who were maybe searching for uh, family members. And I met for the first time and became very close friends with other adopted people. So the convergence of these things, and I thought, okay, so this is so interesting, like, I'm finally finding my people, my tribe. <laughs> they get me. Like, I feel like I, I never knew a feeling like this before of like true understanding. And belong we don't there. have the same, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't have the same backstory at all, but my gosh, we have the same ideas, the same the same abandonment stuff, the same, did you, you know, we look at each other the same way and we go, can you believe this person just said that? <laughs> um, you know, it's really, a, I was like, wow, the whole universe opened up and then I see these young people who are are also in these, what I would call, fractured families or or re you know um sort of deconstructed reconstructed families right that I I kept sort of connected with and I thought gosh why aren't more adopted people mentoring to youth in foster care And and the light bulb went on like I I looked around I didn't really see that it existed in this way there were definitely some Korean American um uh mentoring programs that were happening but but nothing that was really quite as um surgically kind of designed as this one was for me, which was adopted an adult mentoring to youth and foster care with the idea that we don't have the exact shared experience, but we actually have a lot to share together. And uh-huh. that I think, you know, we could provide some mentorship. But the irony is that, you know, I always feel like this, this program has given me so much, and continues to, um, but that was the kind of the, the swirl of things happening that made it all come to life. And I thought of the name Adoptment, Adoption and Mentoring kind of smooshed together and started doing a pilot program and, you know, 15, 16 years later, we're
0: still at it. Mm. I think you bring up a good point regarding um, the fact that, you know, there really aren't that many programs that are provided with the mindset of for us, by us. Mm. And I've noticed this actually for quite some time because, I would have a lot of different conversations with adoption agencies and other um, organizations, and one of the first questions that I tend to ask is, "How many of you have been adopted or in foster mm-hmm. care?" And it's very interesting to see the response to a question like that, mm-hmm. because it's very low. You know, I, I at first when I first encountered um, an organization, I w- my thoughts were like, "Okay, these people get it because they've lived through it." Uh And then I have that conversation and then I figure out that out of the entire staff, two or three have been through that experience and the rest Mm -hmm. have received their education through, you know, traditional college setting and master's programs. And not to say that those are wrong or misleading by any way, but I just understood that if that is the case, then there will always be a piece piece that's missing within Mm -hmm. that. And that is, I think, you know, primarily the emotional aspect of it all, is that you wouldn't be able to truly understand what the child or an adult goes through, unless you have lived through a similar experience.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's so it's so fascinating you say that because there's a couple of different layers to that, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. The, the 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 educational support systems around the work, the deep work related to adoption of foster care, just as is, isn't isn't comprehensive enough, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're just, they're just, you know, you spend a little bit of time here or there, but, and there are some good programs where it's like, you know, what they're trying to get at adoption competency and, and these things, but these are relatively, relatively small, relatively new. Uh, and, and so an interesting point to what you're saying is I, I've actually found some fascinating dynamics where I was doing a training at an agency, a small training for the post-adoption Workers, social workers, and caseworkers—maybe ten people in the room—and mm-hmm. so we were going really deep. And I, and I tend to, you know, try to find openings wherever I can. You know, if if mom and dad, or dad, or dad, or mom and mom, or whatever, were divorced, um, and there was some kind of a custody issue, where you know there was um, some kind of a again a fracture. Uh, there's there's room there. For someone who's not adopted hmm. to start to get it a little bit right mm-hmm. there's room there's a little bit of room there right Common ground. Um, mm-hmm. that's right we do divorce and remarriage pretty much in this country we've been doing it for years and we all know when we do it well and we do it not well and we all know that you know y- y- you know this is part of this larger family system idea and this idea of um you know even loving someone who is not biologically related to you through step parents and through uh, divorce and remarriage and all this. So there's there's some concepts that I try to like move through so that there's a little bit more of this this kind of like a, a an idea that can can be comprehended. This is not that far. Everybody thinks, oh, if it's not, not adopted, then it's so far away from. Me. I'm like yeah, right. it is, but it isn't. There's a there's a way to get there. Mm-hmm. But also, I've been in trainings and this one specifically where there was a person in the room who was adopted and never and never shared that throughout the whole training. Huh. Some one of the supervisors came to me and said, oh, you know, you know. Um, I can't, and I won't say the person's name, but, you know, Jane is, uh, you know, she's adopted and, you know, I kind of knew like as things, as it, it, it's like, Hmm, it, that makes sense to me now. There was just a, there was a little bit more kind of like of the head nod and the kind of, uh, uh-huh, uh, huh that I, I was getting, but there were a couple other people in the room that were adopted or had either spent time in foster care who who identify themselves. I'm not saying that everybody has to identify themselves, but t- interesting to your point, there are so many people in in our community who are at different stages of engagement and enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make it good or bad. Mm-hmm. It, it's not it's neither it's neither here nor there. Like you say, you take the you take the really heartwarming good stories and you, you take the more challenging, sometimes traumatic experiences they're all part of this this bigger idea but what I one of the hardest lessons I've learned is that not everybody is where you are true in in coming to this you know you enter into this conversation whether you're even in the conversation I met a 28 year old woman about two months ago she had never met another adopted person until I sat down next to her and she wept hmm so, you know, there, there's a lot to what you're saying. And I think just even the, what's enlightening and, and, and so hopeful is that just by even acknowledging the fact that, one, it does matter for per, per, people's personal experiences tied to some of these professional, these, these really deep, important mm-hmm. professional layers to what what needs to happen for kids and families. There's, there's something really amazing and, and important about that. But then there's also, you know, we are all in the midst of, quite a bit of change in society, in technology, with DNA. And this is all new ground. And this is not an easy movement to be leading or be a part of in any way, shape, or form. It's exciting, Mm -hmm. but it's also quite frustrating and a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. And yeah, all of that. All of it.
0: One of the points that I want to jump back to is actually the reunion. And I wanted to know how your parents... Your adoptive parents felt about it was there were there any um feelings from there or um things that were said you know from their side that okay why are you doing this um you know what's the purpose of finding your family or were they i know that you mentioned the fact that how they were um, supportive of the whole process and they helped you throughout all of it but what, what were the first kind of moments like when you shared the fact with them that you are going to go after your family? Hmm.
1: You know, I was a pretty independent, I don't want to say independent, I don't know what the right word is. I was pretty um, determined, I guess. Uh,
0: uh-huh.
1: Pretty much my whole life I've been a pretty determined person. So my my parents were not super involved, but they were like, yeah, okay you know, and mostly my mom, my dad, my dad's a little, just less interested in all of this period. Like he loves me. He wants me to be happy. Um, he has his own, as we all do, um, challenges with family, extended family relationship connection. So, I mean, I, my expectations of his kind of engagement involved with our, our involvement are very low. That doesn't mean that he doesn't. He's not supportive, and he doesn't love me, and I don't love him. I, right. they're, they're two very different things. But he, he wasn't really involved. He was somewhat curious at certain points, but only when I, you know, only when I was talking with my mom about it, whatever. I, I haven't really had a long discussion about it with him, even through interviewing him on the podcast. It's probably something I would go back to to talk a little bit more about, um, especially related to the father piece of things. Um, but and my mom, you know, I. I think as a tough that people were just, and I know for me, I won't speak for us all, but it's just such a tightrope walk, right? Like mm-hmm. I just never want my family to feel as though they aren't good enough. They were, you know, that, that I'll ever leave them, you know? Um, it's, it's sort of this odd circle of like the same feelings. That, so, so we were left, we were kind of, you know, um, but, We sort of start to by searching, we start to create that same sort of feeling of are you going to leave me abandonment stuff with the people who adopt us and the families Mm. who adopt us, right? So it's this very odd, you know, these these circles turning, and so I just find myself being because I love them, right? Being very careful about uh, how I say what I say, and even though I'm super open, I do care deeply about the impact of my actions and my words on those that I love both birth family and an adoptive family. So, you know, they, they were supportive, right? Like they didn't hold anything back. They didn't, but they, you know, they didn't really physically go on the journey with me. And, I, and I'm not sure that I asked them either. Like, I wasn't like, mom, will you come with me? I, mm-hmm. I usually found a friend or a boyfriend or someone to, to take a step or my sister came with me when I first met my biological siblings, which was a joy and a, and a blessing but I, I, I feel like I, I sort of protected my parents a little bit and still do only because or the best I can because, you know, I love them so much. And I feel like they get it, but I also know they have emotion and I also know they have fear. And I also know that they have, you know, um, a great deep love for me mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting ongoing um, div- division of self and loyalty that you have to calibrate every day. Um, and, and the one thing I will say is that, which, which, which was pain so painful for me. Um, and I know it was painful for my, for my mom, you know, when my birth mother rejected me, um, I, I was so, I was just so distraught. And my, my mom was like, became, and it was the right thing for her to do, but then it was also like, I, I explain it like it was that ex-boyfriend who really was not a good guy uh-huh. to you. He may have been a good guy in the world, but he was not a good guy to you. And you might get back together with him, so you don't really want your your family to <laughs> hate him, right? Like, you, you, like you're like, let's not tell too much of this like longer right. story because he might be back around the way <laughs> at some point. But I, I felt that way about my birth mother because, you know, she she was <laughs> so not warm and loving and and open and quite hurtful. My mother was like. Oh no, 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 no. Like my mother was like, oh no. Like I always like, gave, I always felt good feelings about her and love and respect and obviously a, a gratitude, right? Because she was raising me. I was her daughter. But she lost a lot of that respect and love for her in that, in her actions, in my birth mother's actions. But I, I was like, you know what? If she called, my birth mother, when she was alive, had called me at any point, even after all of the hurt that came from her and the uh-huh. pain. I would have gone, I would have been on the next plane. So it, it was a real, like that was a real balance for me. Like, and, and it sort of still is because, you know, sometimes I think my, one time I, my mom said, you know, I, I heard you talking on the podcast and she said, you know, sometimes I just think you're too easy on her in a way. And I don't know if those are her words she said, uh-huh. but you know, she went into mama bear mode, like no one's going to hurt my daughter. And if they hurt my daughter, I'm going to come for you. So in a way, that's exactly what I needed her to do. But again, it was kind of like, oh, but wait, like if there's an opening here, mom, I'm going to go after that. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real deep and, and challenging struggle. At the same time, what I'll say is that like, man, you do learn how to navigate some really challenging life circumstances, I'll tell you. You know, through, in, 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 in regards to relationships, you know, th- there wasn't physical trauma for me, right? Like, so I'm not comparing some of what I work through to physical, you know, mm-hmm. trauma in that way. But I'll, it's like, how do you navigate some of these complex relationships? It's good. It's actually really amazing training on some level for, like, life today because there's a lot of complex situations in life outside of our family, that we better learn how to manage and, and, and work through.
0: Absolutely. That's a good point that you bring that up uh, regarding loyalty and family because that's one of the things I've learned along the way is that the more and more I share about the different parts of my story and some of the parts, especially about my life in Russia, um, you know, it, it, you do have to think about the things you you say and the way you present people within the story um I've always felt that in my case there's no one to blame for the things that did happen mm. because they they just happened. Some of the things truly did just happen. Um so it it wasn't necessarily okay it this it was this person's fault therefore you know everything's on them. Mm. But rather mm-hmm. it's, it was mm-hmm. the, it was the, it was just the the timing and everything played a role and that's how it was. Mm-hmm. Um so but that's one of the things that I've actually noticed within this is that ju- you just have to be very cautious and aware of other people because at the end of the day they're people just like you. Mm-hmm. They have the same set of emotions, they pro- mm-hmm. but the thing that's interesting about all of that is that oftentimes they process them differently. So if you think that whatever it is that you're doing or saying may not harm someone it could actually harm someone. That's right. And you just have to, um, I guess, just be aware of it. And one of the things that I've tried to do throughout all this is that I have, a, you know, open dialogue with my parents, and mm-hmm. actually, almost everyone within my adoptive family and um, the people that I'm able to keep in touch with from my birth side. And I tell the story as is. I uh, wh- whenever I get the question, you know, what what are you building? Mm -hmm. who are you trying to serve um how are you using your experience like i try to answer those to the best of my ability and using the same language that i would use with you or anyone else so that way they don't Mm -hmm. feel like they're you know i'm sugarcoating anything but more so i'm just really telling the experience as it was
1: right right i mean and that's and that's part of this like to me that the The center point of all of this, and you said it so well, and and I think you're living this, is the truth, mm-hmm. right? Like it's just the truth, and 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 that isn't a force it down your throat truth. That's just look, I have certain pieces of information that are true, mm-hmm. and I have certain pieces of information that and I, I have pieces that are missing. That's also part of the truth, mm-hmm. and and that's that is how having that life experience and, and having to recognize it, like a lot of people don't have to walk through life like this. Like if they have both bio parents or one bio parent or, you know, they're connected, they see a mirror of themselves every day. They haven't been through a ton of, um, you know, sort of, um, experiences that has them question their identity. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, um, we, we, given our circumstances uh, for me, I have to do this, or I don't survive, right? Like I, don't, <laughs> I don't live a life that's gonna be a nice, good life, right? Yeah. Like I, if I don't do this, I don't go deep with it. It's, it's, it's just not, it's not gonna work. So what I've learned is that that's uncomfortable for a lot of people that don't have to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, like, you know, it's uncomfortable to say, oh, like why are you bad mouthing your former spouse, who's the father of your children, right? Right? And 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 that they're. Those children need to find see the good in that person because they are of that person, right? Like it's a it's really hard not to challenge things that you see. The norm. Appropriately, mm-hmm. right? Appropriately challenge and just it, so in a way, I think, gosh, if more people could just they don't have to be as fierce and deep and, you know, sort of, um, as, as I, I am about it. Right. Um, and they have to talk about it as much Is everything about adoption and race. Yeah, kind of <laughs> in, 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 in economics and and in injustice. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot of joy in that too. Don't get me wrong. Like there, this isn't, this isn't all negative. This is also just like empowering and there's some joy and bliss in this too. When, when you're doing things that, that, that you feel are moving things forward, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, if people that didn't have some of these experiences could do just a little bit of that, a little more of that, man, think about how powerful that could be. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. all the things we work through, and I'm not saying it makes us better. Again, it's just, it's just, it's just kind of
0: it. It's just a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yep. And what? And that's why that change, the podcast, my podcast changed the tagline, um, to what adoption can teach the world. Like if we're paying attention, there are. So many fundamental life experiences and lessons and teachings in the experiences that happen around adoption. From sex to politics to money to relationships to um, to, to, to gender equality uh, to race dynamics. I mean it's all there and it comes to life through the interactions, the transactions surrounding adoption and if mm-hmm. we if we want if we feel we cho- feel if we do choose to we could we could go deeper, or we could look away which has been happening for a while it's we're starting to look more deeply at things hence this podcast hence mm-hmm. you know so it's a lot of the work that all the advocates and a lot of the professionals are doing and and the members of the community so i think it's it's good energy but it's there's a there's a long way to go
0: mm-hmm. i love what you said about you know the whole concept of adoption because the way that I felt about it for quite some time actually is that we do decide to adopt people into our lives at any given moment, you know, like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm deciding to adopt you into this conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's how I try and explain it to people who aren't familiar with the concept to, you know, gain that common ground and to have and present this in a way that they can understand and relate most importantly. And so when I started to think like that, it, it, truly does make more sense um you know the, in our case adoption was just this term that was given I guess to us in some cases and or the uh, the parents through which you you were able to get a child to start this family but at the end of the day we choose to adopt each other um whether we like mm-hmm. it or not and I think when mm-hmm. we do accept that that's when we're able to um, dive into some of those areas that you just spoke of, race, mm-hmm. and business, whatever it is, um, and that that's how we're able to get that common ground and a better perspective on some of those areas.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't disagree. I mean, as much as I'd I'd actually like to take a day off from being adopted every once in a while, <laughs> right? Um, and certainly when I was in corporate work, I could do that. Right now, that mm-hmm. doesn't really happen, which is which is okay. I mean, there's a balance, but to your point it doesn't it it i want to use this life these experiences as a way to try to find the opening the relationship the the adoption of a of a maybe a different a new idea the a way to to sort of create some space with another person it's not easy Mm um it's not easy but but look, it's, it's kind of like, it's so imperative and urgent at this point. I mean, we think about this family that just, you know, went off a cliff literally with all those adopted kids in the car. Uh When you think about, um, that family, they weren't adopted. They were all biological kids out in California who were sort of starving their children. And look, if we don't get a grip on what's happening with family and children and valuing kind of these, these really important things that we're seeing in, and we don't, figure out what really does need to fundamentally change, like this is going to be a massive problem. I mean, that much harder is. down the yeah. road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. No doubt.
0: I want to dive into the, today's topic, which is be the person you needed most when you were younger. And I would like to start off by having you define what it means to have a great mentor. Hmm.
1: Well, I think it's commitment. First thing that comes to mind is commitment, right? Um, it, 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 and, 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 you know, it's not commitment. Like it's so funny. It, so it's commitment and presence, right? So it mm-hmm. doesn't, I, I once met a young person once and, and someone asked me, Hey April, can you meet this person? She needs a mentor. And I'm like, look, I can't have another men, mentee right now. Like I just can't, it wouldn't be fair to them. Um, I don't have, I don't have enough space. There's just meet her once, just, just, just please her once. I said, well, I will under the conditions that you you tell them that this will probably be <laughs> a one-time meeting. Cause it's not, I, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't commit to more of that, and, but I can be open and be communicative about that. And I, and I want to do that or else it, it probably won't work. So we do it. I meet this young lady. She's awesome. And, um, we have a great afternoon together and I, and I, I basically am like, I don't know if I'm going to see you again. Um, and I didn't see her again. Mm. Um, uh, but later on, a couple months down the road, someone had said to me, was telling a story of this, uh, um, and someone retold the story to me because they knew me. Long story, weird. It follow, hopefully people are following it. But they said, oh, you know, um, Angel came to meet so-and-so, this young girl. Her, and someone said, you mean April? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, her name was April, but she made such a difference in that young girl's life, we kept calling her Angel. Hmm. And I thought, my gosh, like, okay, so I never, I never, I really try not to give up an opportunity to meet a young person, even if I know I, it's not going to be a lifelong commitment or even a, a mentoring two year or three year commitment, uh-huh. because that was just really. Now, was I, would that be a defined mentor? Would that be someone who down the road might say, gosh, there was this person I met, they really were a mentor to me? I don't know, because a mentor seems more long term, but. All that to say is a great mentor I think is is committed is is patient is present um, and is communicative so i and, and, and that could be along so many different so many different lines of um, of of you know just a just so many different ways of alignment there mm-hmm. um, but i also think especially if you're a grown up a great mentor is someone who just remembers what it was like to be a kid and a teenager. Mm. Even just for a little bit. It sucked. <laughs> like it sucked. It sucks to be a teen. Like, especially today. I mean, and and it doesn't mean that it's like, you know, you know, growing up is just the worst thing ever, but we know how bad it is. Like when you're like, Oh my gosh, the sun's just not gonna starting come off. tomorrow because yep. the guy yeah, the, mm-hmm. the guy's not taking me to the dance or you know, um. You know, people get so upset with young people when they're on their phone so much. And like, first of all, look in the mirror. Second (laughs) of all, like ask them what they're looking at. You'd be surprised. They'll show you. Yeah, they'll show you what they're looking at. And they might they might tell you something you didn't know. So, you know, just just that that intergenerational thing, which which tends to be I think the walls are breaking down with that, but I think like being a great mentor, especially to a young person, is really about, you know, knocking down some of those like of typical, like, oh, you know, stay. you shouldn't be on your phone, and, you know, it's like, let's just, yes, there should be some rules um, and some, some some group dynamics, but young people are young people, and, uh, you know, we, we all were young people at one point in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you said that because, you know, for me, great mentors have always been people that, well, first of all, don't tell you what to do or how to do yeah. it but more so challenge you by asking you questions about the ways that you're currently doing it. Yep. And I've noticed that along the way that that's, that has been the biggest you know, benefit and takeaway from it all for me. And it, it, it's funny because right after I would have that conversation with them, even though they're halfway across the world or halfway across the country, and after I get off the phone, I, the first thing I say is, I, I can't believe I just had that. You know, and then this would be like a weekly call or a monthly call. Mm-hmm. And it, it mm-hmm. changes my perspective mm-hmm. so much when the person, it, essentially it's empowerment. You know, they give you yes. that inspiration. They they ask you those questions that truly do make you think rather than give you the tools and ways to get to it. Because I think if you go that route, when you give someone the quote unquote how to get to certain um point in your life and along the way you accumulate all of these different experiences some of them which will be failures which are good to have um but then you you it's more likely that you will blame the mentor for those failures for by saying hey you know you didn't tell me this would happen Mm -hmm. or you didn't Mm -hmm. tell me those things would actually impact and entirely change my perspective on my path towards yeah. this final destination. So I think it's a tight walk. Yeah, it's a tight walk. So I think it's important to question the people, if you're, a, I guess, in the role of a mentor, and then those that are being mentored, it's at the end of the day, it's up to you to receive it, whichever way you want. Um, but that, that's kind of how I viewed mentorship throughout my life. That has had the greatest impact on it all.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's it's. I I've I, gosh I've learned so much and I've been so. I mean, every emotion can ever possibly come up with. I think I've felt it in these <laughs> years and mentoring young people in foster care because it, there's anger, there's joy, there's confusion, there's um, frustration, and it it it's really. I, I mean it's so unfair how so many young people find themselves in circumstances where adults have, have, um, not been able to, um, care for them in the way that they need to be cared for. And that doesn't, isn't just their biological parents. That's some foster parents. That's adoptive parents. That's Uh that's professionals. And, and that's not to say that there aren't some amazing professionals and parents and um, amazing things and shifts that I hope, you know, will continue to happen. But I'll tell you what, it is, um, it is really, really tough. And I think one of the one of the biggest challenges for me in this program has been, you know, for those of us who have lived a, you know, fairly privileged life, and I mean, we didn't have a ton of money growing up at all. We had enough. We had, at some cases, sometimes we didn't have enough. And a lot of times more than that, we had more than enough, not by much, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we we were able to go on a vacation or two. We had, you know, special things every, every now and again, but we lived on a farm, simple life, like not um, extravagant by any (laughs) means, but it was all that, but all that to say that when you have that as your experience, and then you see the r- real deprivation and lack of resources and, and dynamics and economy that, it, it, which are largely uh, based on differences of race and location and place. And um, it's really hard to, to figure out one sort of, what you can bring to a young person, right? Because the experiences have been so different. And two, it's, it's hard for the young people, I think, to sometimes understand, Oh, what could this person really know and understand about me? But Mm -hmm. we get there. I mean, we get there over the course of, of different experiences and activities and relationship building and, and some of it's really organic and some of it is, is more, um, planful and, um, takes a little bit more effort, but, you know, I'm, I'm just now still hearing from and connected to, and I, I, I hear it more than once, like, oh my gosh, April, I wish I had, I wish I had this. I wish I had stayed in that foster home that you, you told me it was probably a good idea to stay in. Mm-hmm. I wish I never left, um, you know, you know, you know, whatever the foster woman's name was, foster mother's name. I mean, you know, not, that's not a disrespectful, um, uh, quip. It's just, I can't remember her name. And of course, I would share it if I, if I could remember mm-hmm. it, but all that to say that it's, um, It's really hard sometimes when, when, one, you have this dynamic of, oh, I'm, I'm a teenager, but I'm grown. Like, I know what I know. And, you know, what do you know? A lot of there you know, there's a lot more, it's a little bit more balanced now, but oftentimes is more white mentors for kids of color. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know that's changed over the over the time for adoption but all that it still works like it still really works because then th- there's there's there all kinds of openings but it's it's a challenge right it's a, um I, it, it was all very eye opening for me um even coming through the foster care system been, having been in foster care for about 7 months of my early life learning about it as a grown up and having learned about it and continued to learn and, and witness it is um is instructive and it's it's frustrating but it's also like wow there's there's a lot there's a lot that needs to be improved Mm -hmm. and when you see that come to life with what the young people aren't getting that makes that makes it really difficult
0: Mm. you're clearly you're someone that has been in multiple roles throughout your life you know executive roles and having your own podcasts and doing the different things that you do what advice would you have for people young people who are just starting off? in regard to building up your resume Mm. i put this in quotes because one of the reasons why i do that is um i think especially within some of the people that i know so much of it is placed on that there's so much emphasis on you know building up your resume and every experience you do you have to put it on there and um that's the first thing you bring to a job. But I, I've always believed kind of slightly the opposite. And I do agree with the fact that you do have to get experiences throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also th- have always known that there are different ways to get to a certain point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So if you if you do want to get go get that job, it's not about spending 10 hours a day um, finding the right buzzwords or whatever it is to make that colorful one sheet of paper, but more so, you know, maybe send a handwritten note to the person Mm -hmm. that is hiring, or go in there in person, or give them a call. Do, Do you have any advice for people who are just starting off as far as different avenues they can explore, or things that you wish you had done when you were younger?
1: Um... You know, it's so interesting. It's such a good question. There's so much in that. Well, the first thing I will say is that I want more people in the community, especially adopted people, to become leaders. And I don't, I don't care in what. I don't, you don't have to be um, a leader in in adoption work, mm-hmm. right, or in advocacy work, like just get to a high position. So you have influence. Like we, there are not enough adopted people in positions of influence, period. They're just, they're not. And that doesn't, and that's not just on the, on the, on the advocacy professional side. That's, you know, when I was in marketing communications, I feel like I did have different perspectives. I did bring different things to the table because of my experience. And I had, the ability to open some doors to things. Um, the mentoring program is a great example, mm-hmm. right? Like um, I had an idea, I had connections. Um, I was able to make that happen. Um, and of course, with hard work, it's it sustained. But I, I, I would say that um, just as a general idea, I want more and more people like us to be in whatever leadership feels like and looks like to you, but to be in more influential and leadership positions, because when it comes to passing laws, when it comes to getting funding, when it comes to um, kind of opening up more of a of a of a of a transformational conversation about our family experiences—not just adoption—we uh-huh. are so uniquely poised to do that work. Um, I think more so than than a lot of people, and, and I say that with confidence, and and not with ego, but and, and with bravado, but with just a, a, a real concrete feeling that that's true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I, I just think, at, at the same time, I, I often hear, more often than not, people involved in and in, in, in per- personally involved in adoption want to give back and make difference, especially young people in foster care who have been brought through a system and are still in a system that has not really, truly done right by them from their standpoint and certainly from my standpoint, I see a lot of young people say, hey, I want to be a social worker. I want to be, I want to fix this for the next year. I see that all the time. And I just think that so many times these systems and even the adjacent systems that these young people get involved in, Mm -hmm. um, are not healthy for them, even as professionals, because it's triggering. It's, it's not, um, a lot of times the leadership in some of these organizations don't see the value in their experiences that also come with additional sometimes needs for support and challenges, right? That, that come up. So if you're, if you're in a a room and you're a person who was in foster care and, and, and you don't think a a young person is being treated fairly, that's going to become a problem, right? Or Mm -hmm. a potential problem. So there's, there's lots of layers to this, but I would say like you know, um, find good professional mentorship, um, find good, like, look at, really look at who, and I don't care what that role, what that job is that you want or what that role is, just find really good professional mentorship, um, and people that will hold you accountable and, and sort of help you navigate some of these professional experiences because it is no joke out there, especially if you're a person of color. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, especially if you have, um, you know, you're in environments where you are a minority, you need to know how to navigate these things. And the only way you learn is by being in them, number one, and two, sort of having some place to go and talk to and process some of this stuff through because, you know, it can be really deep. So there's a lot um, to do, but I just, I want anybody who has had the experience of adoption and foster care um, in whatever role. I obviously I want everybody to be successful, but I particularly want young people coming uh, up through adoption and foster care, um, to just feel so common because we're we're all so, I mean, again, I'll speak for myself, I am so um, I, I, my confidence can be so challenged, you know, my um, my ability to feel like I belong, like as, as sometimes as convicted as I am, um, it's so hard because I think, oh God, they're not gonna, oh, I'm gonna get found out. Mm-hmm. They're gonna find out that I'm not as good as what I say. I mean, oh gosh, like it, we need all that extra support. Around us, because we're also super powerful, but but only when we have that sense of um, foundation and grounding and belonging, and um, that someone isn't gonna you know someone is isn't gonna treat us improperly or, or um, take advantage of us or what have you. So, you know, we need a lot of extra kind of community, um, extra support, sometimes extra you know guidance. And but at the, but when we have it, look out, man, because mm-hmm. we can kind of we can be everything and we can be so amazing. Um, but it's, 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 it could be a daily challenge. Mm
0: -hmm. Achieve whatever it is that we set our minds to.
1: I think so persistent. (laughs) Right. But at the same time, deeply, you know, deeply kind of rooted in, um, kind of controlling outcomes. Sometimes. I mean, I speak, again, speak for myself, like, you know, um, you know, when you don't have a lot of control, I mean, I remember Steve Jobs talked about not having control of, of, of you know his early beginnings, right? No one does, but he mm-hmm. was particularly um, sensitive to this, as as I, I as I can understand, he had a failed adoption. If you watch the the Michael Fassbender movie, the most recent movie it was based on the um, the the the, um, the Walter Isaacson bio. Mm-hmm. We would not have iPhones had it not been for Steve Jobs being a, a totally committed to control, end to end control, and that has to do with adoption. I swear. <laughs> I wrote mm-hmm. about it. I feel it in my guts, like I feel it in my whole my like that we would not have these devices in this in, in, as brilliant as frustrating as they can be. Um, it all was rooted in his like fierceness around his experience of identity and adoption and control.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I can completely agree with you. Uh, final thought for today's episode, yep. and that is when the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to?
1: I'm still here. Right? Like, I deserve to be here. Like, there's like, you know, there's like, even when it's like, Oh, my gosh, how in the world, like, I've, I've, I've woken up, I'm breathing, like, I just the core principles are gratitude, right? A gratitude of being not from being adopted, not from being, you know, relinquished, um, but a gratitude just for all of it, right? Um, I just think that's what I what I try to go back to, uh, and and just recognizing what I can do, what the what the abilities I do have. Someone gave me great advice once, which was, whenever you feel stuck in your in your writing or your wow. your creative spirit. Go back to something that you thought you wrote really, really well and read it a couple times. Mm. And, I, and you do that and you go, because I'm like, oh, I'm sitting there going, I can't write. I'm not a writer. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't even get this thought out on paper, blah, blah, blah. So then you go back and I read something I thought was really good. Or I listened to a podcast I thought I did a really nice job with. And I think, oh, okay, like she is in there.
0: I can do this.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I did it. It's, it's right there. It's material. I, I wrote that. All right, so it's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten, and I do I do lean on that often because there's a lot of times you get stuck and you think, oh, who's going to listen? Who's going to care? No, I can't. I don't know. This doesn't make sense. What I'm saying, mm-hmm. and then you go back and you look, and you go, okay. So the, the, so when the odds are against you, it's like. That's that's when you have to have as many tools in your toolkit to sort of go back and reflect, um, and just to have conviction and and compassion for yourself, and to have nice thoughtful good things to say to yourself versus some of the more negative things that we tend to tend mm-hmm. to kind of lean into. So it's a great question. Yep, that's right.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand up and speak up stories and ways you can be involved With Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.